Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, that's pretty great stuff, isn't it? We have a number of kids that serve, give back to Hillside students, and is just very, very proud of them because uh, they're contributing to that legacy. you got the next generation already helping the generation, you know, prior to them. So it's pretty powerful. Well, it's hard to believe it's March 4th. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to believe that it is promise weekend. Uh, If you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here. Uh, But you're about to uh, witness the culmination of 18 months of planning, where now as a body we are financially... Uh, making a promise today to our future. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a children's addition to this building. We have a $5 million goal that we're trying to reach so that we can do it debt-free. Uh, last night, we had about 200 of our leaders gathered together here, and they gave their promises ahead of you. Many of them are sitting among you right now. Uh, and... We had a great time together, and then I got to show them something that uh, you haven't seen yet because it was the first time we, we, uh, we'd just gotten it, but it's a little video animation of the building, just sort of a short visual, but I thought you would like to see that, so why don't you watch that before we continue? It's pretty cool to be able to see it. Uh, So we're excited about getting our young ones out of the portables and into this building, which will go over on this side. It'll be two stories. And uh, the physical piece of this, the material piece of this is one thing exciting. But what the campaign has done for us over the last few months uh, as a body, what it's done for us is far beyond just brick and mortar. It's really rallied us around some important things. I'm just curious, just curious. How many of you have started coming to Hillside after we were in this building already? Let me see your hands. Yeah, the vast majority of you. We were talking at our elder meeting the other night and realized, you know, there are, along your history, it was 23 years we've been in existence. And along your history, you have certain rallying points that unite and gel your congregation in a way that uh, is just very unique and it melds them together. And we've this campaign has really given the opportunity for those of you who started coming while we've been in this building to have a rallying moment of your, for yourself that's sort of taken the groups that have rallied before you and gelled them all together at the same time right now, and it's just very possible to see. What you rally around is the mission and vision of the church, uh, reaching people, and then you rally, we've been able to rally around prayer and focus our dependence and trust in him, and then sacrifice as we've all been thinking and considering what that means. Uh, to leave a legacy, you got to sacrifice. And so you mix sort of that 
all together and you have a concoction for what unity is and what life change is. And I think it's happening here. And it's rallied the young and the old. I mean, you remember I had our octogenarians up here, some 80-year-olds, and uh, they're excited about the campaign among us, the oldest among us. And then uh, if you walk around this campus, you could talk to any kid, any, almost any age, and they'll tell you that we're in a campaign and that they're serious about it. There's been great stories going around from, for, from our kids about, uh, we, had, we have had stories of kids that taken their little bank home because on March 25th when we do first fruits, they're going to come and they're going to bring their banks up here. And those kids are going home and they've, they've, the first day they filled their banks with all of their money. And it was just great stories. And then this past week I was told that there's a, a nine-year-old boy who gets a $9 allowance. Because he's nine, he gets $9 a week as allowance. And so he's sitting in the back seat of the car with his mom, and he's trying to figure out how we're going to pay this, how we're going to get this $5 million. And in his mind, he's thinking, you know, uh, so he says, you know, if everybody were to give a dollar a day, would this work? He said, because I'd be willing to give seven of my $9 every week if, if that's what we had to do. And then he said to his mom, how many givers do we have at Hillside? He wanted to know how many givers we have so he could do the math. And so they did the math, and it came up way short of the five million, as you would imagine. And, you know, because on a, on a $9 a week salary, it's not going to happen. Right, it's just not going to happen. And he figured that out. He's going to have to become a better earner. Okay, he's not earning enough. And so, uh, but I just thought it was really cute for him to go, man, we've got to figure this out. What are we going to do now? I might have to give the extra $2, too. I might be stuck with nothing. Uh, so those stories, they're just, they're all over the place here. They're all over the place. Uh, so from young to old. Now, listen, there's no better way to end this campaign series than, than the end of the book of Joshua, which we have been looking at for the last couple months. Uh, chapters 23 and 24 end up being two farewell speeches from Joshua. You can read them in their entirety on, entirety on your own. Uh, but a new era is about to hit Israel. I mean, we, if you go through the book of Joshua, you go through a really significant era, a, an era of fulfillment, because the promises that God has made come to fulfillment. And now a new era is about to, to launch. And so it's kind of an end and a beginning. And every these great transitional moments, like the one we're even in now, I'm going to tell you right now, after this month, after between now and First Fruits, and where we're headed after here, it will mark an end to an era, and it will mark a beginning to another one. And that's how Joshua ends. It's the end of one era and the beginning of, of another one. And so uh, it puts the long view in perspective. It's a legacy message. It's the perfect legacy message. And Joshua's going to say this, essentially. The future is now. He's literally going to say, today. Today, the future is now. Uh, and so it's a challenge, and if you read it, you'll see what I'm saying. It's the weightiest part of the book. There's no heavier section in all the book. I mean, we are talking about the link between this group and where we're headed next. Those are the weightiest things we're going to do as a congregation. They're the weightiest things for that facing that nation. Is this thing going to be able to continue after us is such an important question. And so... He's asking that. We've got to be able to see this vision all the way through. And in order to do that, there's got to be commitment and unity amongst, uh, among the generations. I mean, from young to old, it's got to, be, it's got to be tight. Or we'll lose. If there's a crack anywhere, we'll lose some. We'll lose it. So, uh, right now, they are at the end of Joshua's leadership. They are in the promised land. They've experienced numerous victories as a group. Israel's probably in one of the highest points in its history. Uh, there's a kind of corporate national buzz that there is no way you can deny in this group. Their identity and their unity, are you can feel it. But Joshua knows as sweet as that is, and I think Hillside's experiencing it a little bit, because there's a lot of really good buzz going around from the campaign. And Joshua 
uh, knows as sweet as that is, there's something more that it takes, and he's going to press for it. He is going to press for it. He's going to push down to the deepest part of them as individuals. He's going to ask you to do something. I know you're feeling great in the group, and there's just a lot of good group vibe, but he's going to say, I need the group to disappear for a minute and only you to be standing here. I need to look you in the eyes. That's Joshua's message. And he's going to back them into a corner. He is going to back them into a corner. And he's going to say, you need to personally make a decision today if our future is going to be uh, determined. So in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15, you know the key verse of the entire chapter is where he says, choose, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then this is what he says of himself. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So this becomes the key word in both chapters. So we'll have to sort of peel that apart. But here's the thing. He's going to get extremely personal. He's... he's, he's if you, if you read 23.1 and 24.1, he has summoned the entire nation and all of the leaders to a meeting. So you got an entire group here, but look how personal he gets. He gets extremely personal. And then he enters your space. I'm going to enter your space. I'm coming into your homes. I'm into your, I'm into your private places here. We got to talk seriously about you. That's what he's doing. And he's going to show you, and this is what he's going to do. Then he's going to, then he's going to he walks, you, walks into your space, invades your space, he's going to sit down at your kitchen table. He's going to hand you a contract, maybe a full-out contract. He's going to have you read it, and then he's going to hand you a pen, and he's going to say, sign here. He's literally going to say, sign here. I mean, if, when, when I'm reading this, I see signing day. You're choosing the team you're going to play for. It's signing day. Pick a team. In fact, listen to this sort of the legal-like language he's about to use on us. Here's what he says to those people. Joshua made a covenant with the people. This is at the end. This is after everyone is chosen already, it's done. He says, Joshua makes a covenant with the people. And he put in place statutes and rules for them. And Joshua wrote them down in the book of the law. And he took a large stone and he set it up there under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And he said to all the people, behold, this stone will be a witness against us. It's heard every word we've said. Every word the Lord has said. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you Deal falsely with your God. So, I mean, it is a no-nonsense contract. Here's a pen, sign your name. I know there's a great buzz in the community, but now I'm asking you personally, are you in? Because it is very easy. I just want to say it's very easy to sit in a room this size and say, look how many people are involved, and you get sort of caught up in that emotional buzz and everything, but it doesn't ever really change your life. It doesn't e- you never really made the choice yourself. It's, it's kind of dangerous. So here's what he's going to do. Before you sign, he says, he's going to hand you the pen, and he says, before you sign, I want you to consider three things. I want you to think about three things before you sign your name. And here's, what, here's the first thing he says to consider. I want you to consider God's sovereignty and God's grace. I want you to consider his sovereignty and his grace. In chapter 24, 1 to 13, Joshua's going to speak, but it's the Lord talking. And so it's as if God gives his personal testimony about how he got Israel to the point that they are that day. And it goes through every detail. And I mean there is, it's as, it, there's, there's names that come up, but none of them are given any props for anything they've done. God literally has sovereignly brought them to this moment. Now, I'm only going to show you three verses. Otherwise, you know, it would just take way too long to go through this. But you read 24, 1 to 13. Joshua gathers all the tribes, and he says to the people, he says, this is what the Lord says. And now you hear, now you hear God. 
long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. They were pagans. Then I took your father, Abraham, and you see this a lot throughout. You'll just, just underline all the language in there where God says, I. Because no one else does anything in this, in this chapter but God. He's the only one doing anything. I took your father Abraham from behind the rib. You and I study Abraham and we think, oh, the agony of Abraham thinking about what he's got to do and leaving everything to follow God. And this is, Jesus, this, is, this is God saying, yeah, it was a great story, but I did it. It was a great story, but I did it. Think of every Old Testament character you, you think's famous for their faith. That's what God's going to say. I did it. I took Abraham beyond the river. I led him through the land of Canaan. I made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And every name that's listed, God says, I gave him. I gave him. I led him. I won the battles. I fought, the, I fought them all. And you just see God's sovereign hand working. And you get all the way down to verse 12. And to emphasize the point. It was not by your sword or by your bow. Here's God saying, no one in here is responsible but me. I have sovereignly led you to this point. Okay? Now, where God has sovereignly led them, he's going to walk through all four periods of their lives. The patriarchs, the call of Abraham, which started the whole thing. And then you have uh, the exodus. All that mess in Egypt, they were slaves for 400 years. It was a mess. And then you've got uh, Moses leads them to this, to the Transjordan. That's before they cross over. There's battles to be won before they ever cross Jordan. And then after they cross Jordan, the fourth period, now they're in Canaan. That's Joshua's era. So all four of these eras put together. And right up to it, God is saying, I have done all of it. I have sovereignly led, even through the messes of your life. This is a great point to remember even you because even right now I would say for us to think about how in the world has God got us to this place, this moment right here in his divine scheme and plan. Now listen, you, you're, you're probably looking at your life and you can look back over it and go, man, there's been some wrong turns I've made. There's been some messes. I don't know how this happened. Somehow God got me back on track. Somehow it all happened and here I sit. And it is pretty amazing to look back over your life and watch how he has sovereignly, despite our mistakes, how he has sovereignly got us to this place. And then there's one more thing he says at the end. Verse 13, the last verse of the paragraph. He says, and I gave you a land you didn't labor for. And cities that you didn't build, and you dwell in them, and you eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And here's God saying, not only did I sovereignly lead your life, your life but I graciously blessed you, and you didn't earn it, and I didn't owe you. That's the message of it. I will accomplish my sovereign plan in your world and in your life, and I will bless you beyond what you deserve. Before you sign that contract, before you consider the idea that you don't want me in your life, please remember how I have led in every detail of your world and how I have blessed you beyond what you deserve. Joshua is trying to get them to, he's trying to establish God's loyalty to them before he asks for their loyalty to him. This shouldn't be a hard sign when you consider all that God has done and brought them to this point. Now, real quickly, let me say something to you. You know, he brought them to Shechem. That's where they are here. Shechem is the exact place where Abraham, God brought Abraham alone into that Canaan land, and he showed it to Abraham before any of this. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7. And guess where they were? Right here. It was in Shechem. Right in the same spot they are right now that God promised Abraham he would do all of this. And so what you have in that sovereign and grace is God saying, I'm the one that picked Abraham. I'm the one that moved him. I'm the one that done it all. I've got you to hear and I want you to know I have fulfilled every promise I've made to you. I haven't failed once. In fact, in chapter 23, when Joshua's given his speech in verse 14, this is what he says. I am about to go the way of all the earth. 
That's a real nice Old Testament way to say, I'm about to croak. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord God has promised you. Not one of them. In fact, he emphasizes it. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Now, let me just say, I was going to say this last week. If you were here last week, and I told you I was going to connect this whole New Testament. This is, the, this is the piece that connects you to the New Testament. And just so you know, Ephesians is the sister book to, it's the New Testament book of, uh, sister book to Joshua in the Old Testament. It's the book of Ephesians. And I'll explain to you how, but in the first, the first level, it's about inheritance. And this is what I was going to tell you last week, because we have inheritance, inheritance waiting for us. But the language of inheritance that came in Abraham, so if you start in Joshua chapter 14, verse 1, and go all the way to 22, you just see inheritances given out. Because God promised them land, and he gave it to them in Joshua. Genesis 12, it started, and then it gets fulfilled in Joshua by the time you get to 22. God did everything he told them that he was going to do. That's considered the inheritances, the land. In the New Testament, that physical, geographical property of land gets sort of uh, translated into spiritual inheritance for the church. One of these days, I believe that there's going to be more land given to Israel and that they're going to come back into their land eventually, uh, fully. But right now, the church has kind of replaced Israel for now in a spiritual sense. And we've been given our own promises and inheritances. And if God fulfilled every single promise that he did in the Old Testament, that means in the New Testament we're told we're not we're going to have everything God's promised us to. So we have the very same God we are working with right now who's promised us what he's promised us is going to come true just like it did for Joshua. In fact, look at, look at Ephesians. You ought to see this one first. If any of you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and you are heirs to the promise. Now, it's not a land promise for us. It's salvation for us. It's our future inheritance. We're heirs, not because we're related to Abraham, but because we're related to Christ. That connects us to the promise that Joshua was giving them and that God had given them. And then you go to the New Testament. Look what Paul prays. I pray you'll know. I pray you'll see the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the inheritance that he's given you. Because if you'll see that inheritance, you won't worry about losses here if you know what that inheritance is. And then verse 14 of Ephesians chapter one. Who is given as a pledge, the Holy Spirit, verse 13, that the Holy Spirit, who you're sealed by, is given a, as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Our future redemption, our inheritance, we are promised it by God. You say, how does he promise it? The word pledge means down payment. In other words, the Holy Spirit given to you is a down payment that God is going to ultimately fulfill that inheritance. In other words, the, the certainty that God's going to do it is determined by the fact that he's actually given you a part of himself. That's how absolutely certain your future is, as certain as theirs. That's what we get to have because of Christ's death and resurrection. That's our promise far greater, far more than land. When God promised that to Abraham in Genesis 12, he was looking all the way to us and what Christ would do. It's an incredible thing. That's the connection. So the sovereignty and the grace. Before you sign, make sure you know how God has worked through history to get you to this place and this point in your life and the grace that he's bestowed. You didn't earn it. Second thing before you sign, he says, consider God's character. You need to really focus now. You know, Joshua would sit across the table from you now. He said, focus. You need to think hard about who you're dealing with. Uh, let's see. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God, and he will not forgive your transgressions. This is harsh language. Now, uh, He's going to say to you, you're not able. He's going to say, what, what does he mean by that? We've got to figure that out. And then he's going to say, uh, this, the God we're talking about is holy and he's jealous. 
And by the fact that he won't forgive sins, which you got to really think through for a minute because that's not something you hear a lot. But in a national setting, he's looking at the group as a whole and he's saying to the nation as a whole, I will not bless you as a nation if you don't do what I tell you to do. This is the sort of the corporate picture. Remember, Joshua is drilling down to the individual hearts. But right now, he's thinking corporately of them as a nation here. And he's saying to them, you cannot serve God the way that the people around you serve other gods. That's what he means. And Israel was starting to get caught up in some of the gods of the people of Canaan. And this is true in their history. Remember when he said about Abraham? Remember, he worshiped other gods. That's the theme of these two chapters. You can't have any other gods. They worshipped him there. They worshipped other gods in Egypt. And then there were other gods now in Canaan. And you're going to be fighting against other gods. And, you know, the reason they were polytheists is because they needed a god for every little desire of their heart. If they wanted children, they needed a god of fertility. If they wanted, uh, you know, crops and riches, it was a different one. It was just a different god for everything. Just revealed the sort of the fickleness of the human heart. They'll worship anything that, that serves them. That's all an idol is. It's no powerful than its maker, which is you, which is me. You make an idol, it's no more powerful than you. And so that's what Joshua's saying. Now, what does he mean? Holy. Let me tell you about this God versus these gods that you guys see around here, he says. This God is set apart. He is wholly other. He is in another category. He's not like the pagan, petty deities, these lesser gods who are, who are selfish and they're easily manipulated and they're influenced by humans. That's not who this God is. Before you sign, make sure you know that's not who this God is. There's no one like him. He's different than everyone in his character and in his purity, in his holiness. There's no rival to him. You can't put him in the, other, in the same category. And not only that, he's jealous. What does that mean? That immediately tells you God is relational. He wants a relationship. None of the idols you and I create are relational. They don't have eyes. They don't really see. They don't really have feet to move, move and run to you. They don't have hands to care for you. None of those idols have that. Here's what he's saying when he says God is jealous. Not only is he completely separate from that, but he's absolutely relational, so relational. He so longs for a relationship with you and a love relationship with you. And his love is so constant and uncompromising that the only proper response to this kind of God is an undivided love. You can't love any other gods but him. That's what he means by jealous. Just like every one of us knows as a lover. We all know as a lover what it's like to have sort of a, an exclusivity with someone. Because there's just something that just doesn't feel right about the love we have. It can't be shared with anyone else. We all know how jealousy feels. And that's what he's saying here. There's no God like him because he's unrivaled in purity and love. It's simply no possibility of having another. He will not share. He's possessive. He wants your heart. In fact, Joshua says, put away the foreign gods and incline your heart to the Lord because that's what he wants. He wants your heart. Before you sign, make sure you know the kind of God you're dealing with here. It's relational. And in fact, in verse 15, let me see if I can find this for you here. This is what Joshua says in the, the main verses of the whole chapter. He actually says this, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day. What does he mean by that? Hey, before you sign, before you choose, think about this. Is it evil in your eyes to serve the Lord? In other words, is this too demanding for you? Are you sitting there right before you sign and you go, I don't know if I'm going to give him all of my loyalty. I mean, I, this, I think you might be asking for a little too much. Joshua's saying, think about the conditions because those are the conditions. There's two irreconcilable options. You can't do what all the people around you are doing. 
You can't worship all the other gods that serve your needs here on earth, but you want the God of the Bible in your life because he promises you something in the future. And all these other gods, they're just giving you what you want now. And you want what you want now, and you want the future. And Joshua says, they're irreconcilable. You can't have them both. He's a jealous God. And he's jealous because he has no rival. It's a ridiculous thought that you would worship anything else. And see, Joshua's driving home the point, this point here. You might be feeling a community buzz. You might, we're all national Israel here. But here's, here's what he's about to say. Your faith can't be inherited. Just because you're in the group and because you've been through the battles and you crossed the river and your parents came out of Egypt and you go all the way back to Abraham, I'm asking you this day to choose in your own heart. This faith is chosen. It's not inherited. And the future is lost to anyone who's just hanging out in the group but they're not committed. That's his message. One commentator said, it's Yahweh or the highway. I thought that was really great. Yahweh or the highway. Right? So here's Joshua saying, listen, you know, do you know this? There's no leader after Joshua. Moses handed it to Joshua. Joshua has no one to hand it to. How much worse off are the people there? They have no leader. What's the answer to a group of people who got to continue on a legacy, but they don't have a leader? Make sure everyone in the group, his heart, is completely committed to God and no other gods, and you'll be fine. That's what he says. The individuals in the group have got to be committed to God. Now, here's the, the final thing before you sign. He says, I want you to know that what I'm about to tell you is going to change your life completely. You will not be the same. You will not be able to go to your job the same way. You won't be able to go to your homes the same way. You won't do life the same way. When the speech is over and Joshua's got that contract out, he looks at all the people after they've committed and he says this to them. Um, Joshua sent the people away, every single man, to his inheritance. And I love that they said every man. The whole nation singly go to your plot of land, your inheritance. Go live off the blessing that God has given you. And every time Joshua has used the word sent in this book, in 20, all the way through the book, three other times, it's always on a mission. He wasn't just sending them to their homes and saying, now go do what you want to do. He was putting them on a mission. Because when they got back to their land, there were still battles to be fought, individual battles that had to still be fought in the land. And it won't be easy when you go back to your towns and your neighborhoods and your cities. And the other gods are going to be screaming in your ears. And they're, and they're everywhere, and your hearts will grab to them. Uh, the main war is done, but there will still be little ones to, to fight right where you live. And here's what we learn from that. Enemies will always be in the place of blessing. This is the place of blessing. This is the place of promise. But until we get to heaven, there will be enemies in them, and we will have to fight them right to the end. You say, what is the point of the book of Ephesians? Ephesians tells you, chapter 1, you have an inheritance. In chapter 6, it tells you to put on the armor of God because you've got fights to still have. It's the same as Joshua. You have an inheritance. You're blessed. You're blessed. Now put on your armor and go fight. You say, what battles am I fighting now? The, battles, the battle is for your affection. It's for your affection. Every single day of life, there's something going to come along that you're going to your eye is going to catch your eye, and you're going to want it more than you're going to sign this contract, and then something's going to come up, and you're going to go, oh, man. And, and he knows it, and you're going to battle, and that's your affection, and that's what Ephesians is. After today, 1,000 days, two things are going to happen after you promise today. You're going to get afraid. Fear. And then the second thing is you'll be fickle. There's something that'll make you afraid of giving, and then there'll be something that'll, that'll catch your eye, and your, you know, and your heart will start craving things. You know how your hearts just start craving things every now and then? You just go, I don't even know where that came up, but all of a sudden, I want that really bad. 
I want that really bad. And you're going to have to fight those cravings. Because our hearts, as Calvin Miller said, one of my favorite writers, our hearts are like junk buyers. They'll attach to anything. And all of a sudden we want it, we can't even explain it. And that's why he said true lovers of Christ can stand the pain of self-denial. Gandhi said, you're going to renounce today, you're going to sign today, you're going to renounce today. You're going to follow Christ today, maybe that's you. You've never committed your life to Christ. And that's part of why you're spiritually neurotic. Because you've got all these other gods out there you follow, but you have this other god that you kind of like, but you're not sure you're going to commit wholeheartedly. You haven't signed yet. You don't, know the, you don't know the wonder of renouncing and, and, and then, like Gandhi said, renounce and enjoy. You say, what do I mean? Well, just think about the sacrifices that you're going to make for this campaign, that we're all making for this campaign. We ought to enjoy what we're not going to do. We had a family. I had a family not long ago. They're not here at Hillside. They're just some friends of mine at another place. And uh, they said, to, oh, you know, they were telling us they're going to Disney. And so they announced to their family, hey, we're going to, Di- we're going to tell the kids tonight that we're going to Disney. And so that night at the dinner table, you know, they get the kids around. They tell me, you tell a kid they're going to Disney. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that around the dinner table. All right? But what about sitting them down around the dinner table and say, guess where? We're not going for a thousand days. We're not going to Disney. Uh, We're not going to do X or Y because we have decided that there's something more important than that. And we're going to sacrifice for it. Do you know how to renounce and enjoy And find joy in the renouncement? That's where we got to get. Find joy in that. Well, as you might expect, three people die as soon as this happens at the end of the book. Three people die. And you go, yeah, I understand because I'm about to die myself right now. Yeah, they bury three guys. You're about to bury me too. Well, Joshua dies, Eliezer dies, and now, uh, and then then Joseph. They're carrying Joseph's bones. Funny thing, they've been carrying Joseph's bones since they left Egypt because he was supposed to be buried in Canaan. Now they're about to bury. His bones have been rattling with them uh, all the way (laughs) for all these years. I don't know who had to carry the bones. They've been carrying Joseph's bones all the way. Just a message of a reminder of God's, it's a link to the past and now the future. And it just signals how far they've come. And God's plan just flat out lives us all. And Joshua's about to die, but the plan has to keep going. We lost a great man in Billy Graham. We lost one of a kind man. There'll probably never be another one like it. But you could go through Joshua 24 and list all the names of the people from, the, from Abraham all the way through history to today. And we lost Billy Graham. And you know what? You know what? Uh, Uh, Wesley said, John Wesley said, God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. Billy's gone, but the work's still going. Joshua's saying, I'm about to go, I'm about to die, but the work's still got to go on. And it's going to take wholehearted people who choose God to make that happen. And I've been thinking the whole time as I get to the end of my life, you want to be able to say, man, I was a part of something. I got a story to tell. That's what Joshua does. He's got a story to tell. And don't you want to have a story that says, let me tell you what God has done and where he's brought me. And the things that I got to be a part of in the window of time he gave me. Yeah, the plan was bigger than me. It started way back before me, and it's going to go on way after me. But there was a moment in time when I got to be a part of it. And here's what God did in and through me, and I'm just so grateful that he got to do that for me. And you want to have that story to tell. Uh, there's a gal, I mean... Uh, at our elder meeting this past week, Erling, one of our elders, he, uh, he said, hey, guys, did you hear about that gal who was in the Olympics who uh, she, was, she was in the free ski competition, the half pipe? You're used to seeing the snowboarders go like this, but they have guys, they have people on skis that do it as well. And they go through this half pipe, and they're supposed to do all these great tricks and stuff like that. Well, anyway, this girl gets up there. She's American-born, but she's skiing for Hungary. Uh, and um, she goes, and she literally does nothing. She just skis it, like any of us would do, literally. 
And like she, she left the entire, people didn't know what to say. They didn't know whether to cheer or not. Because she didn't do any tricks. She got no air, did no tricks, nothing. She just went right down that deal and got to the end. Well, I started doing research because everybody was asking, how in the world did she get to the Olympics? And it turns out that she kind of beat the system. Hungary didn't have that many skiers. And on top of that, you have to go, you know, before you get to the Olympics, you got to go through a lot of events. Some of them are world events. You've got to compete. You've actually got to rank in those world events before you get here. Well, it turns out she signed up for many of those, showed up to many of them, but never skied in all, didn't ski in all of them. But at the end of the day, when you need a skier, you just take the one who's, oh, their name was on the list. And here she goes. And she goes, you say, what? I want you to see what she did. Watch it. We have it, we have it on video. And you got the commentator sort of adding some humor about what she doesn't do. What? What can she deliver on here in Pyeongchang? Liz dropping in, really needing to work on that difficulty, just coming up to the top of the wall. Going for these grabs, the safety grab you'll see there. You see her opting to get to the top of the half-pipe wall, trying to show the judges she has execution. You see her not having the difficulty or the amplitude here on this run. Unfortunately, just a little small and not grabbing the tricks. Going for the alley-oop, spin down at the bottom, one to the left, and then a nice cruise. 60 to switch, trying to show that she has a little style down at the bottom. Will it be enough? You just pretend the judges. 31.40, but it's not going to be. <laughs> Here's a perfect illustration of what I'm talking about. Do you want to just say, I was in the group, I was there, I was an Olympian? You're going to say, I was an Olympian? How are you going to stand in front of a classroom of like first graders and tell them about your experience in the Olympics and how they could get there too? And the hard work it takes. And the moment you got to do the thing you had been working on all this time. The contribution you made to your country and all those things. She won't ever be able to do that. There is no story really to tell. And the last thing I want to do with my life. last thing I know you want to do with your life is get to the end and just say, you know, I was in a group of really special people. I personally did nothing. I do not want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. And so I'm asking you, what do you want to do? What are you going to do with your life? This is our moment. This is our time in history. And we get to be a part of it. So, now with that said, uh, here's, here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to have a moment here where we, you're going to watch a video and then right after that, I'll explain the card. And if you need a card, go ahead and raise your hand because the ushers will, will bring it to you. If you need a pen, raise your hand during this video right here. Go ahead and do that, and then we'll look at the cards. Okay, so if you take out the card, let me just say a couple of things that are important to you. Just remember, first of all, that this is our promise week. Uh, some of you have already given, you've, you've already given your first fruits because you thought today was going to be first fruits, but uh, March 25th is technically first fruits. That's when we'll bring our, our first gifts toward this. If you already did or you already marked it, you already gave it, that's okay. We, we can, we'll figure that out. But uh, the most important thing on this card here today is uh, your name and how to reach you. And then let me, let, let's show you this card. 
You guys have that? There it is. All right, so the most important thing is the total, and it's a 1,000-day total. If you count up a 1,000 days, this is what I'm planning to do for a 1,000 days. It's just under three months, 2.9-something. Just if you, if you need to make it three years easier for you, that's fine. Just make it a three-year deal for you. Uh, not going to hurt anything. The most important thing is this total right here for that amount of time. At some point in March 25th, you might give your first gift toward it. There will be a sum left. Whatever's left, you might give either monthly or some other way. If you want to put that down there, you can. If you don't, you can leave it blank. It's not going to hurt anyone if you leave those two boxes blank. Uh, It's just not. Okay? If you want to let us know how you're going to do it, that's what it's there for. This middle piece here, which says above and beyond regular giving, we had a financial update this past week, and it's probably important that I share with you. Uh, Our general giving has dropped a little bit because I think people are... steering some of their funds from general to the, to the campaign. And, that, and I understand that's sort of, I totally get it. But um, if we continue to do that, uh, we're going to be building a building, but we won't be meeting in here. Okay, we're going to be meeting outside because they're going to take this. So the reason it hurts is because we're giving above and beyond what we already do. If we stop doing what we already do, uh, it's going to be, we won't have the screens, okay? We won't have the TV on Sunday mornings, all right? So just keep that in mind. If you have any questions or you need anything, uh, I know Dave will probably be in the back back here. So if you're looking at that card and you go, I I have a, a thought, a question, or anything, Dave will be in the back to answer that for you before you come. Matt is also here, and he'll be back there in case you have a question that you need answered before you fill that out. You just want to be comfortable about something. They'll be back there for that. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to have a minute, minute and a half of prayer. You by yourselves, you could fill out the card and pray. Pray that God takes whatever it is. First of all, thank him that you even have anything to give. That's the first thing. And then pray that he blesses, multiplies it to advance his kingdom. God has a way of taking material things and multiplying them in the spiritual realm. So pray that he will do that with every dollar that's promised. Okay? And um, then Elijah's going to come up and close us in a word of prayer. After that, the girls are going to sing. And while they're singing, any time during that song, you can come forward and bring this up here. Uh, Just... Fill it out, fold it if you want, and set it here. The black piece down at the bottom is yours if you want to rip that out. Um, So that's how we'll do it. All right, so right now, just bow your heads, pray those things, and then Elijah will close us. Join me in word of prayer. Father, we're just so humbled, Lord, that we could be united here in this place, in this time, as the body of Christ, with an opportunity to be involved in what you're doing to advance your kingdom here on earth. And Lord, as we look around, we're here united as one in Christ, but we all have a different story and a different path of how we got here. And although those things might be different, Father, the thing that we know for sure is that it's through your grace, it's through your faithfulness that brought us to this point. And so we know you as faithful. The same faithful God that you were to Abraham is the same faithful God that you are to us today. And so as we step out on faith, Lord, And we walk in obedience to whatever it is that you spoke to our heart today to promise and to commit. That we know, Father, that you're faithful to bring us through it. You're faithful to continue to be the provider that you've always been. For we've never seen the righteous go forsaken, Lord. And so, Father, for these next thousand days and beyond, Father, there's things that undoubtedly may come up. But in the face of fear, Lord, I pray that your faith will abound, that you would bring grace and peace into our life. 
And that even as we give in the midst of our sacrifice, that we would have joy. Knowing that you placed us here in this very moment, that we can have an impact on this generation and we can have an impact on the next. And so, Father, I ask now, Lord, that as we make a commitment today and as we sow a seed, that you would bring a harvest out of it, that you would multiply it, Father, in only the way that you can do by your power, that you would take it and use it for the advancement of your kingdom, Father, that it would ultimately change lives and families, and that they would know you personally as their Lord and Savior. And so thank you, Lord, for being a provider. Thank you for everything that you've given us, recognizing that we're there to steward it, that we might be a blessing. And I ask you, Father, just to be with us and continue to show us your mercy and your grace over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, here's, here's my prayer as you leave today. My prayer for all of us as a body, that no matter what it takes over the next thousand days, when we're done, we will all look at each other and say, it was worth it. And we will say it was worth it. And you have our prayers. You have my prayers. You have all our leaders' prayers. Uh, during this time, as we pray God's protection, God's blessing upon your lives, your strength for you to see in the toughest of times. Because there will be battles to fight when we go home. Battles to fight. And we're going to be praying that all of us have victory in those. Father, we're grateful for what you've done in and among us. We're grateful to be a part of the plan. We're grateful to be here. I thank you for every person who walked forward and made a sacrifice of some sort. How incredibly humbling it is to together make these kinds of promises. I just pray, Lord, you'll help us to fulfill them and that you'll receive the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.